0: tempted to read this. I was so bummed when I timed myself. Sometimes I have to because otherwise I would jaw way too long. But I so wanted to read this super funny thing to you this morning. And um, it was all about the beauty of snow. And it starts out with a guy who uh, his, is a brand new snow shoveler. And by the time January hits, he has burned down his house he is being sued by the snowplow guy for hitting him over the head with a shovel because he keeps coming multiple times a day, which means he has to keep shoveling, you know. And, um, and his wife has gone to stay with her mother because it's her fault that they moved to this godforsaken place. <laughs> it's super funny. <laughs> and in the end, this is his, uh, let me just read you his, his final entry for January 8. Well, December 31st, I can't help it. He says, I set fire to what's left of the house. No more shoveling. January 8th feels so good. I just love those little white pills they keep giving me. Why am I tied to the bed? (laughs) Listen, guys, hang in there. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. We have some ground to cover today. This is our final teaching in our gate series. And if you haven't been with us, we have been teaching out of Nehemiah. And let me just, for those of you who have been here many times, you're probably really getting tired of us reminding you of what this is all about. But hopefully it'll stick with you till you die. Um, so Nehemiah was actually a cupbearer to the Babylonian king. And he heard news that his hometown, Jerusalem, was in shambles. And, uh, you know, back in those days, if you had a city, you needed a wall. With gates it was super important for the safety and the vitality of the city and so when he heard that there was still in destruction from the Babylonian attack uh, he took it upon himself to ask the Lord for favor to make a difference in the situation and of course God said yes I think God must have been tickled with his heart and uh, he gave him the grace not just the grace but the favor of the king um, and the supplies to go to Jerusalem And there what had been undone for over a hundred and some odd years in 52 days that gate was rebuilt now the simile that I'm making here is that we all are cities and because we are cities of value we have walls around us as well and in our walls there are gates because how many of you know that a walled city without gates is a dead city so if your gates are not functioning there is a good chance you're probably not doing well either. So each one of these 10 gates in Nehemiah, we have broken down and we have taught the prophetic uh, importance and how they apply to you and I today. The first five gates were gates that involve choice and responsibility on our part. And the last five gates, beginning with the fountain gate, are gates that refer to the character and nature of God. All right? All right. Today, we are starting in Nehemiah 331, we are at the inspection gate. This gate is, has also been called the muster gate. You might hear that, um, but let's just read where this comes from. It says, after him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants in front of the inspection gate and as far as the upper room of the corner. Between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, we're back to the first gate, that's the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. Let's pray. Because we do this a lot around here. I need it. Jesus, thank you. You have a word to speak. It's important to you, and so it's important to us. It's it's so critical, God, that we hear your voice, especially in this hour. You are an inclusive God. You have great things for your people. You have great things for people who maybe haven't chosen you yet, but one day will. It's an open invitation to all. And I'm so grateful for that. It has changed my life. So Holy Spirit, I welcome you to move as you will. And I I just give you the glory, God. I ask that this would be a word that goes deep and bears fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. So let me give you a little history of the inspection gate. Now, it's funny because of all the gates, this is the hardest one to research archaeologically. Couldn't find a whole ton of stuff out there, which I like to do because the thing about, this, about these gates is they're real. They exist, okay, or they did at one point. And so this is one of those gates that's a little, huh, but I can tell you a lot about its name. Inspection gate. Inspection comes from the word mythgod, which comes from the verb pakod, which means to number, to number. It's located on the east wall. So we, last week we did the east gate, and now we're up just a little bit higher above that to this inspection gate. And it opened up onto the road leading to the Mount of Olives. So last week I mentioned that the East Gate faced the Mount of Olives. This one actually opens up to the road that would take you up to the Mount of Olives. Does that make sense? This is significant because um, this road led to a, it's an Aramaic, uh, um, yeah, Aramaic word, Mythkod, which is similar to Mithcod. You can't see it because one has a K and the other... Uh, it has a cue, but anyway, um, and it means appointed place. Now, this is where people would register for the temple tax. Each person would come to this place, and they they would be counted, and then they would be taxed, okay? Now, in the time of Jesus, this place of numbering, you know, or, or counting or registration for the temple tax was called Galgotha. Is that familiar? Yeah, because the word Golgotha used in the Gospels is uh, talked about that describes the place of the crucifixion. And it's actually an Aramaic word, all right, which suggests this area of registry known as Mythcod, the inspection, the place of registration. Are you tracking with me? This is a little little hairy in here, but just hang on. The related Hebrew word bears the same meaning as that Aramaic word Golgotha. It's Galgaleth. And that means this. It means skull, head, or pole. Now, most of you would say, well, I already know Golgotha is the place of the skull. But actually, it doesn't mean dead person. It actually referenced the top of the head because when you would come to be counted, you would your, your head would be touched. One. Okay? So it referred to this count that happened at this gate. I find it very interesting that this... This inspection gate led to the place of reckoning where Jesus paid for our debts in our place. Talk about a head count. One for all. I don't know. It's just really powerful. But the other significant prophetic meaning of this gate is uh, it, it speaks of the judgment of the nations. Now, I know some of you just recoiled. Because this is the judgment that takes place when Jesus returns. Let me read to you about this judgment. You can find it in Matthew 25. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right side and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, right? Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And... When did we see you as stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So there's the sheep. Then he will also say to those on his left, the goats, Depart from me, accursed ones. Ouch. Into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And then he will answer them, truly I say to you to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is one of the uncomfortable things, right? Acts 17.31 describes the judgment. It says, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man, that's Jesus, whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. There is a day of reckoning coming, and this inspection gate, Is talking about it it's what signifies it's it signifies this now here's the deal we all have this gate like it or not you got one I got one and it's the coming judgment there's no getting around it so my question for you this morning is does the judgment of Jesus concern you how does the thought of the coming judgment make you feel here's what I want us to walk away with today how we see God impacts how we live God all right now I I need to preface this because otherwise I'm gonna get in trouble I'm gonna I'm I'm, I have the potential of offending folks that's not my heart many of us were raised up to view God as a judge right and I want to propose to you today that a more accurate perception of him is as father now this is not new theology this has been around since the first century church this has been around in the Eastern Orthodox from the very beginning even till today our idea of God as judge is a Western theologically a theological mindset and it is not as old and it is not as authentic listen Here's the deal. Jesus is the standard, right? He was God incarnate. He is the standard. And Jesus always viewed as, taught about, talked to God as father. So that's where we're going to go from today. Okay, now just hang with me. Hang with me. Because here's the deal. If we're going to talk about judgment, we also have to talk about this big issue of sin. Right? Right? I I can tell you that uh, I grew up, so many of you already know my story, but I grew up in church. I tell people I I was born saved. It's only because I don't have any recollection. I've always known Jesus. And so, um, but I was raised up in a a more religious atmosphere, and I was taught that God was judge. And that's fine if if you're a a rule follower, though, it'll kill you. Because I spent so many years following all the rules and working really hard to make this God happy, knowing all the while I was never going to be perfect. And so when things went bad in my life, here's what really happened with this idea of God as judge. When things went sideways in my life, I wasn't really sure the God I knew cared. like if all he cared about was whether or not I got the walk right is he gonna care that my life is imploding because I think I only get his attention if I screw up and so the question is what is sin because in my life I had to come to this place of revelation and it changed everything about how I I walked with God it changed everything and it was when I really found freedom and, and this sin idea, that the way that we define it, really is born out of how we see God. If we see God as judge, then your definition of sin is law-breaking. He's the judge, he knows the law, and he's the one who punishes. So, by that definition, sin is, is breaking the law. Uh, The word most of you know, if I were to ask you, what does the word sin mean? You would say missing the mark. And that's legitimate because in the Greek, the word is hamartia, and it actually means missing the mark. But here's the problem. If you see God as a judge, then that idea of missing the mark is that you have a target far away, and in the middle of the target is a bullseye. And you know that that bullseye that you're supposed to keep hitting is the perfect righteousness of Jesus now listen you don't get into the kingdom of God without the perfect righteousness of Jesus okay I don't want you to accuse me of dumbing down the gospel you need the perfect righteousness of Jesus it's required for salvation but God does not expect you and I to be capable of attaining it by what we do does that make sense Y'all are quiet. You got to get a little vocal. Okay. All right. God doesn't expect his children to hit the bullseye of being perfectly like Jesus. Otherwise, we would not have needed Jesus to come. Right? It is impossible to meet the perfection of Jesus in and of ourselves. And yet, how many of us are spending our lives working really hard to hit that mark? That's a really torturous understanding. You know, when God described Job, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible, it says in verse 1 that Job was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, Jesus had never lived. So how was Job able to be pleasing to God if the requirement was that he meet the perfection of Jesus? Something's wrong with that thinking. Matthew eleven thirty, 30, Jesus talks about life with him, and he describes it. He says, he says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That seems to run contrary. All right, so listen to this. Romans 10, Romans 10, 4, I'm reading it out of the TPT. It says, for Christ is the end of the law, and because of him, God has transferred his perfect righteousness to all who believe we've been given the perfect righteousness of Jesus now i need for you to know that if you do not have a faith in Jesus he god is judge to you the bible is clear you have to come into the family of god in order to know god is your father if you're not in the family he's not your daddy But that's what's awesome about for most of us here in this room because we do follow Jesus, God is our father. So now sin's definition changes from law breaking to misbehavior. All right? When you come into a family, you've got a father who sets the tone. He 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 knows how how what things are going to be allowable and what things are not, but he's it's not a courtroom. God, as Father, has taken you out of the courtroom. You don't go in there, all right? And you actually, we actually live by the law of liberty. The Word talks about this. This is a law that's based on mercy. It's not courtroom law. This is is a law. It's a standard that's set, and it's based on mercy. James 2, 12 through 13 says, so speak and so act as those who are, are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. It's way mo better. Harold Eberle, who is a, uh he is a theologian. He literally wrote the book on father-son theology. He says this. He says, God wants his children to grow up take responsibility for their actions, and make wise decisions. He hopes his children will govern, will govern their lives thinking, what is the best action to take? What would my father want me to do? How can I please Abba or Daddy? Right? A better example of the whole idea of missing the mark is this. Think of a marksman, a shooter. you like, like, I'm talking like Olympic games. If you're a professional marksman, right you're practicing to hit that target but if you miss that target you don't get thrown in jail instead you take a step back you check the wind you breathe more calmly you reset your sights you want to make sure and then you practice 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 that's what God is requiring listen father God is pleased when his children try to be like Jesus. Listen, some of you are going to get set free this morning. Some of you have walked in here with uh, with a wrong idea of who God is. And you've almost felt crushed by the pressure of trying to please an impossibly perfectionistic God. And the reason why this message is important is because God wants you set free from that. Wouldn't it be nice if God got the credit for who he really is rather than what some people call him? Listen, you can't say God is good if you think he's a judge. He's disconnected, he's cold, and he's distant. God is Father. Now, we're going to change gears here, and now we're going to talk about judgment. All right, because inspection gate is the coming judgment now everybody everybody is going to stand before the seat of judgment nobody gets a pass on that this means that but here here's the deal it means something completely different for a son and daughter versus someone who does not follow Jesus who has not accepted Jesus as king completely different thing okay you ready oh man The judgment of those, here are the two realities of judgment based on whether or not you have faith in Jesus. The first one, the judgment of those who do not follow Jesus. This is a judgment that leads to death or life, heaven or hell. If you don't know Jesus, that's the judgment you're facing. Scary, eh? Revelation talks about, it's called the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20 says, then I saw a great white throne, And him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds." Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And get this, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a scary judgment. This is the judge for those who do not accept him. John 3.18 says, he who does not believe, has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Dr. Everly says, perfection of Jesus is necessary for salvation, and that can only be attained through faith in Jesus. This stuff is very real. Hebrews 10 13 says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God but let me just remind you of the character of God found in 2nd Peter it says the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but he's patient toward you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance some of us, if we have this mindset, well I like to term it a beam me up gaudy mindset. Things are going south. Things are really hard. Dad gummit, it snowed two feet. Come on, Jesus, come again. Listen, I'm all about Jesus coming, but, but here's the thing, it's not all about you. Jesus' heart is that no one Have to face that judgment where it's life or death, heaven or hell. So if it seems like he's running late in your book, consider your neighbor. God truly is good. It's just sometimes we're so tunnel visioned we don't see the big picture. And listen, I want to say this about this we should never compel anyone to come into the kingdom through fear ever why well because love should always be the motivation Romans 2 4 says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance and people listen listen people are dying to know the love of a father they don't need your fear Fear is a bully Fear beats people up, backs people into corners and says, you have no choice but to react. That is not the gospel of Jesus. Yes, there are repercussions, but listen, you you want them to experience the love of Father God so that they can't live without him. Because once again, how we see God impacts how we live God. How do you see him? How is that impacting your interaction with the people around you? With those maybe who have not stepped into faith? Let's move on to the judgment of the Jesus followers. Now, for the Jesus followers, as we've already talked about, God is Father. He's not judge, right? We are his children. Yay. What an awesome, amazing, stupendous, Wonderful, gobsmacking reality. Thank you, Jesus. John 5.24 says this, He who believes him who sent me does not come into judgment. Hmm. John 3.18 says, He who believes in him is not judged. Yet I've already said we we stand, though, everybody before the judge. Well, this type of judgment seat, so this, this type of judgment, actually the Greek word for it is bima. Romans 4.10, 14.10, let me read that to you first. It says, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. So what's the difference between this and the one we just talked about? Well, it has to do with the destination. The first one is heaven or hell. This one has to do with rewards. This this word bima in the Greek actually refers to the Greek Olympics at the end, the ceremony where the rewards are given. Um, which, by the way, well, this is not a place of condemnation. This is not a place where salvation is lost. For the children of God, you tracking with me? Okay, There's a difference, we have to keep that in mind. Otherwise, I'm not being honest with the gospel this is a place though where reward can be lost in fact second John 8 says watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished but that you may receive a full reward now it kind of stinks that the Olympic Games only had three places so we were laughing the other day at team teaching when we were talking about this because what are the chances of you or I making the podium? Probably not great. But listen, your, uh, John said, well, your, your uh, approach should probably still not be whoever is last should be the first. Like, do your best, right, in Jesus. You guys didn't laugh at all. Watch yourselves, that you don't lose what we have accomplished, but that you receive a full reward. You'll stand before in your answer for how you lived your life. I would much rather have the reward than to say, well, you got in. Yay, here's your rainbow ribbon. When people come to faith, their relationship with God changes. All of a sudden, as I've said before, they're welcomed into the family and God is father. And see, it's it's funny because everything shifts. We know this. Jesus himself described this in the, the parable of the prodigal son. You know what that is? Remember, that's that's the the a story that he told about the father who had two sons and one of the sons one day says, I want my inheritance now. And he jets out. And he goes and lives a terrible life. He spends all of the money doing naughty things. He disrespects his father. He disrespects himself. And it's funny because uh, at one point, if if you're reading this parable, it actually says that the point of no return, the point where he kind of got a clue was when he found himself feeding the pigs. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, pigs are a no-no. In fact, even to this day in Israel, Pigs that are raised by non-Jews, non-Israelites, they have to be raised on a platform that does not touch the ground because they're considered completely unclean. He had completely defiled himself. He had It says that he was eating the pig slop. It had gotten so bad for him that he was literally ingesting what was absolutely bad for him. And all of a sudden, he gets a clue and says, man, my servants my father's servants live better than this so he says I'm prepared to be a servant for my father not a son I'll give up my sonship but just let me live in the safety and security of his house so he goes back home again of course we know the story of the father who by the way is waiting for him hoping one day he will return and he sees him coming and before before there's a there's a there's more to this story but I I'm not going to tell it today, but, but he runs and he greets him and he throws a robe over him and he puts a ring on his hand. He reestablishes him as son. And the, the other brothers like, whoa, what, what the heck? I stayed. I followed all your rules. I did everything perfectly. I don't see you giving me this kind of special treatment. And he's like, no, 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 no. He was dead. He's alive again. See, your father does not disqualify you or reject you because you've screwed up. He's waiting and he embraces you. You don't face the same judgment. In fact, Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. How many of you are living in this torturous cycle of screwing up and feeling really bad and screwing up and feeling really bad, trying to make it right, trying to do everything you can to qualify? I want to propose to you, and this is a little controversial, so just hang on. God is less concerned about your sins than you are. He wants you to live a life that is as good as it can possibly be. Yes. Yes. A father who sees his son drinking and partying is going to say, son, you can do better. But he doesn't say, you are never going to add up. You are never going to amount to anything. All you ever do is let me down. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. That's not how Father God views you. There is hope because there's grace. And let me just tell you, for those who love god oftentimes his judgment is his mercy let me just say that again if you are a child of god his judgment over you is oftentimes his mercy he loves you we have to remove ourselves from the courtroom and get back into the family room You know, the characteristics of a good father are pretty plain. And I'm not saying, listen, none of us here know a perfect father. It doesn't matter how good your daddy is. But this God is the perfect father. And his characteristics are love. Profound love. He 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 just doesn't tell you that I would die for you. He actually did it. He loves you that much. He protects He puts you in a place where you are safe to grow and to make the mistakes and to learn. And yes, sometimes, sometimes he disciplines, but he doesn't do it because he is ashamed of you or because he has lost hope in you. He does it because he knows who you are. And when you, when you step into a place where you're outside of who you are, he will say, hey, you're better than that. Stop. That's not a bad father. That's a good father. I, I would say that probably a really committed love is willing to say no. It's a lot harder to say no. To a father, most actions that displease him are misbehavior rather than law-breaking behavior. Only judge God evaluates people through the eyes of the law. But Father God never takes his children into the courtroom. His children do not come into judgment, John 5, 24. How we see God impacts how we live God. So my question to you this morning is who's the God of your inspection gate? Is he judge or is he father? Because God is inviting you to step into a new reality with him. And it's totally up to you. It's totally up to you. Let's go ahead and have the worship team come up. As I was as I was preparing this, I you need to know that I'm a I'm a student of theology, but I'm no master. I am no master. Um, our Ryan and I is a good friend, and, and uh, he's just a teacher in our lives, is Harold Eberle. And a lot of the content that you've heard today, he makes very clear in, in his book, Father, Son, Theology. This absolutely changed my life. This set me free. And God sets me, because I, I I'm just going to be honest, a little intim- intimidated to bring this word to you, because I don't really feel very qualified. Oh, thank you. I I just I believe that theology matters because it changes how how we perceive of who he is and how we engage with him. And if we have a misunderstanding, then it can mess our our, our relationship up with him. And 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 he was speaking to me and I was like, "God, man, I don't I don't think I'm the one. Like, I think maybe we should invite Harold to come again and uh, he should just teach this." And he said to me, "Kelly, Let me just tell you something. There are so many people who are hurting because they don't really know who I am. I'm not going to wait around for the experts to come. If you will say yes, I will speak. So my hope and my prayer for you today is that you catch a revelation that changes who he is in your life. Let's go ahead and stand.
1: We had a, you and I and our team had a conversation the other day that I think maybe would benefit everybody. And that was, the conversation was what the word judgment means. And I know you've already kind of gone over that. But can can I just take us back to the very beginning of your message with yeah. the inspection gate? And the word judgment, correct me if I'm wrong, really means to decide. Right. And when you said sometimes... God's judgment is his mercy, what I heard you saying was his decision about me is his mercy. And in our culture, judgment almost always means rejection.
0: Right. That's true. Yeah. I didn't go into that. But can you imagine you as a, let's say you are a father or you are a mother Can you imagine condemning your child to death because they messed up? Doesn't that run contrary to the nature of a good father?
1: But sometimes if I'm going to make a decision about my child, it might be, I need to correct this child. And sometimes it's going to be, I'm I'm just going to overlook that mistake. Or I'm going to wipe it away. I think part of our hang-up is in our culture, judgment means rejection. And when we come to Father and he judges us, he's deciding, and it's almost always mercy because we're his kids.
0: Well, and, and you know, my perception of God as judge was that God was standing at the door of my life, like this big, huge, strong man with a club, and He's just waiting to beat the hell out of me. And when I came to this, um, this revelation of no, no, um, he doesn't. He doesn't judge like that with his children. It's not like that. And I also think, by the way, that his decision over those who don't know him is often very compassionate and loving. He cares about those who don't know who he is. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. So today is uh, the opportunity to change how you live with God. And it just requires changing your perception. But the nice thing is you don't have to do this alone. Because for some of us, boy, you know, we're, we're in a rhythm of thinking of God in a certain way. And it's really nice. He's so good. It's awesome that Jesus is Emmanuel because it means God with us, right? So you don't have to go at this alone. And I am I, believing I am believing that as we surrender this in prayer and we change our minds about how God really views us, that you will, it will open the door to him speaking to your heart and you'll hear thoughts you haven't heard before and you'll go, I, I don't think that was me. I, I think that was God. Because he will go the distance for you. He will make it easier. So let's just close our eyes and, and, and put your hands up. This seems to be the Sunday of surrender. Surrender Sunday. Now you can pray however you want, but I, I am going to lead a prayer. You can say it with me, uh, whatever you want to do, but this is your choice. God has shown up and said, listen, I want you to change who you think I am. I actually want to walk with you in love and kindness and patience and gentleness and self-control. This is who I am in you. I love you. I haven't rejected you. Yeah, sure, you're not perfect. I never expected you to be. That's why Jesus died for you. But it's funny, if we step into the love of a father, it changes our behavior. And pretty soon, we can't help but walk in the righteousness of Jesus because God has so impacted our lives, we don't wanna be anything different. It's only this God as judge thing that keeps us in torment. And so this morning, Jesus, We thank you for the reality of who God is. Thank you, thank you, thank you for salvation. It is a gift that continues to bless. The more we learn about it, the more incomprehensible it is. And I just thank you this morning, God, that you are my father. And this morning over those, some of us who have been in a pattern of life with God to where you are judged and you are cold and you are hard and you are distant and you are unfeeling, I break that off of them right now in Jesus' name. And I ask God for a download from you of the reality of who you really are and who your children are. Daddy knows who you are and he loves you. You do not walk alone. And your life is bound for greatness because he's your dad. He wants it for you. God, thank you. Thank you that your heart toward us is good. And in, in this place, in the place of this thing that we're breaking off, it's a, it's a religious thing. It's a, it, it, it's a condemnation spirit. I say no in Jesus' name and in its place. Father, I release the law of liberty. The law of liberty. It said, Jesus, that you came to set the captives free. And so you have done. And we want to embrace the reality of the gospel. And we take hold of that today. And I ask God that you would open ears and open eyes to the revelation of God, Father, speaking into hearts and minds. I ask that in our prayer times, in our worship times, in our alone times, as we drive and we pretend that there you are sitting next to us, that the words that you speak to us, all of a sudden they have less of a mantra of you could have done that better. You could have done that better. You should try that again. Oh dude, you screwed up, it's all on you. Instead we hear, man, I'm so proud of you. Do you know how much I love you? Man, I love you. This is gonna be a great day. I release that in Jesus' name. Amen.